The reading is taken from Romans 12, verses 14 to 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome. Good evening, everyone. Look around for summer church. This is pretty cool, isn't it? Look how many people are here. Um, let me pray before um, I speak to you this evening. Yeah, Lord, we invite you into this place, God. Um, yeah, I ask that you speak through me this evening um, and that you would change lives, that you would change hearts, and that we would, be- that we would become um, more like you this evening. Mm. Amen. Cool. Um, Thank you, Karen, for reading that. So we're looking today at this passage, this letter um, that Paul writes to the Romans. Um, And he's teaching the church about unity, about how to live out the greatest commandments, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Just behind this table, you can see that. Love God, love neighbor. And that's our series. And the church in Rome that Paul is writing to, they needed these lessons They're becoming increasingly divided. People from Gentile backgrounds and people from Jewish backgrounds are basically not seeing eye to eye. They're struggling to be a church family. So this letter is written to a church about the love that they should have for each other and how that impacts how the church should act. So it's written to a church family, but we can learn how to be good neighbors to people outside of that church family from this letter. Our Love God, Love Neighbor series is prompting us to kind of realign the way that we relate to others, how we treat others, how we invite others into our church and into our faith. Now, I think we're missing something pretty big if we reduce being good neighbors to, you know, a couple of acts of random kindness, which of course are brilliant and great and we should do them, but I think there's got to be more than that, and I think our passage shows us that. That verse, bless bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Jesus came to do life with people. He walked alongside people. He knew them fully, and he loved them fully. We read about this so many times. We can read about it in John 4 when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well or Luke 19, Jesus meets Zacchaeus, that tax collector. Jesus met them, he knew them and he loved them. And through that, that's what made them come to know him and they changed. 
So I believe this passage, it calls us to live in the way that Jesus did, to live alongside people and through that to point them to him in all that we say and in all that we do. So as we do life with those around us, we share our life with them. We invite them to share their lives with us, our neighbors, the people around us at work, at school, wherever we are. We share the rejoicing and we're meant to share the mourning too and every single thing in between. But I think this is where being a good neighbor gets pretty tough. We can't be blinkered to only see the good, to only see the easy parts. We can't just see the rejoicing because the mourning, the difficult times, they will come. And I wonder if you've ever been kind of on a holiday or a camp or a school trip or something like that, um, away with someone or a group of people. And in that time that you're away, you get to know those people more than anyone you know in the rest of your life. And I think it's because you see them in all circumstances, don't you? You see them when they've just woken up, when they're hungry or hangry or in their pajamas or when they're going to bed. You know them properly and fully. And I reckon, I kind of think this is what Paul's talking at, about getting at here. I think this is summing up what he wants us to do as church to people in church and outside of church, to know people properly, all kinds of people. That's what Paul says, associate with people of a lower position than you. It's all kinds of people so that we can do life with them. We can meet them in their rejoicing and in their mourning And then they trust us to do both with them. That's a humongous privilege, to share burdens and to share blessings with people, to feel as those around us feel. And through that, we invite them into a relationship with Jesus. So here we are, doing life with those around us. But this passage, I think it has quite a lot of grace. Um, The words are direct and straightforward, but I think it has grace because it allows us to admit that being a good neighbor isn't always easy. It speaks about persecution, about enemies. It introduces tricky situations. When people aren't your favorite, when people are difficult, or they offend us, or perhaps they aren't good neighbors back. So what happens when our relationships with our neighbors become difficult? What happens when people do what sometimes people do, and they hurt us, or they misunderstand us? What happens when we're meant to be a neighbor to our enemies? Well, Paul writes these words, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. That's quite big. And if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's quite big too. He's calling us to be peacemakers. That's what Jesus calls us to be peacemakers, to take part in this upside-down kingdom where the world's way isn't our way, where we're aiming to live in harmony despite those differences that can be made into excuses to divide. Jesus' love for people, that's what allowed him to live in peace with others. It was his love that meant he could do that. And that love is given to us and that flows out of us to those that we interact with that can allow us to live at peace in harmony with all kinds of people. Now, we're not doing the right thing in the eyes of everyone just to people please 
or to be doormats or to gain approval from people. We do it to point to Jesus and to the love that he has for them. It's about glorifying him and pointing those people to him. I wonder who can we do that to in our own lives? Now I want to head on to another part of this passage, um, and it's about the word revenge. (laughs) That sounds quite an intense word, doesn't it? Revenge. Um, I probably wouldn't say I ever look for revenge. Um, It doesn't sound like something I would try and seek, but I think it is actually quite often how we live, that when someone hurts us, we often want to hurt them just as bad, or if we don't want to do it, we still want them to hurt just as bad from something else, to make them feel how we felt, how they made us feel. But Paul tells us in this passage that God gives us a complete release from that. We're released, we're free from having to make people go through what they made us go through. Paul, he points back to the book of Deuteronomy where God says that he is the one to set things right. God is the one who's going to set things right, not me and not you. This freedom from us seeking revenge. I think this can save relationships from being destructed because of our need to get even. Now, being free from this need to avenge, this need to get back at people, that's not easy. But I think it's possible through these two things number one, through love, number two, through faith. Having more love for others, more love than our need to fight back to argue, to hurt, to have more love than our need for that. And then faith, faith that God is in control, that he can handle those situations, that he has a plan. Instead of seeking revenge, we're encouraged by Paul to do something radically different. For Paul, doing nothing to our enemies, that's not enough. Kind of this civil word that we talk about, That's not enough. There's extra stuff for us as church to do and to be. He tells us to go the extra mile, to meet the needs of those around us, even or especially if they're classed as our enemies, to feed them if they're hungry, to give them a drink if they're thirsty. This is our enemies we're talking about. This is quite big stuff, to help your enemies. I wonder who is that person in your life? Who is the person that right now you're thinking about that you would least like to reach out to? Through this passage, God has told me this week that I need to meet the needs of that person or those people in my life. Perhaps this evening, God is telling you to meet the needs of that person in your life. And this this is the point where good overcomes evil where Jesus is seen through us, through what we do and what we say, as we lay situations down at his feet and we ask what he wants to do through us, that's when his Holy Spirit intervenes. We're not by ourselves. His Holy Spirit intervenes and shows people that there's another way. If being a good neighbor is about being like Jesus, which I'm pretty sure it is, then it's about sacrifice. It's about humility knowing that we've been forgiven and that we've received the grace of Jesus and that others can receive that too. That the neighbor or the person that you know that you would class as the closest thing to your enemy, 
they're not too far gone for Jesus. I'm not too far gone for Jesus, so they are definitely not. Ephesians 2.8 says this, just to remind us, um, you have this gift of God, of this grace. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. Your neighbor isn't too far gone because you and me weren't too far gone. Jesus showed us in his actions and in his words how to treat our neighbors, how to treat strangers, and most counterculturally, how to treat our enemies. Now, I don't know about your Bibles, but in my Bible, the title for this whole section of Paul's letter that we're looking at today is Love in Action. Love in Action. And I don't know about you, but I find sympathy quite easy. I think maybe a lot of us do. Sympathy means you can look on to another person's situation and know they're having a bad time and feel bad for them. But there's more to this than sympathy. It's about us, with the help of the Holy Spirit, turning that sympathy into compassion and compelling us to act in love, to have a desire to help, a need to help. And don't think that this doesn't matter, that, you know, I'm just one person, so it doesn't matter what I do. It matters. It's important how we act in this world. When we're living out who we're made to be, people see Jesus through us. People can see Jesus through you, through what you say and what you do. They see his love. They can see his heart for people, his heart for community, for relationship. And this is powerful in our friendships, when there's already love and trust and kindness, when there's already something there, that love of Jesus is powerful. Can you just imagine the scenes when we show the unconditional love of God to people who don't even like us? That's, that's got to be even more powerful than it even is in our friendships. But like we all know, I'm sure there are challenges we need God's help to live out what it means to be a good neighbor. I'm unsure that without God, this is possible. I'm unsure that we can react in love and kindness when we're living alongside people, when it becomes challenging. As I was um, preparing for this evening, I just felt God prompting me so clearly to ask him for the fruit of the Spirit tonight. I felt him say um, that that's what it means to be a good neighbor. And so I want us to ask for um, those fruit of the Spirit tonight. You can read it for yourself in Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit, it just seems to encompass all that it means to be a good neighbor. And if you are able to be those things to people who you struggle with, that's incredible. So we want to act as Jesus would have to his friends, to his enemies, to his neighbors, even those persecuting him. We want to act like this, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Imagine if we were those things to our neighbors. I think they're so important. I'm going to read them again. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And as we spend time in the presence of Jesus, that fruit of the Spirit, it grows in us. 
when those challenges of being a good neighbor come, whether it's us or our neighbors that are the problem, we can grow in these things as we live out the fruit of the Spirit. Knowing that we're not perfect and neither are our neighbors helps us grow in grace. I think that's important to be a good neighbor. Knowing that wrong doesn't need to be repaid by us, that frees us from getting back at people. That helps us to be a good neighbor. Knowing that the way Jesus acted with people, that helps us to know how we should act with people, how to be good neighbors. The love and the grace that we know and have been given freely through Jesus, we can pass that on. And you know what? That surprises people. It's unexpected. Often hurt people hurt people. But what happens when we show them that they're loved? What happens when we meet their needs and they're so surprised? What happens when we don't abandon them when things get challenging? What happens when we do life alongside them and walk with them as Jesus did, as Jesus would, as Jesus is and he will? What happens then? Can they be pointed to Jesus? I believe they can. Just to sum up, this is far more than being an all right neighbor. I'm convinced we're to be good neighbors, regardless of who our neighbor is or the person that they are, the status that they have, whether they're our best friend or our worst enemy. I believe God is calling us to be neighbors who live by the fruit of the Spirit, to be loving neighbors, to be joyful neighbors peaceful neighbors, kind neighbors, gentle neighbors, neighbors who have self-control, and then neighbors who remain faithful in God, seeing how being good neighbors to all impacts our neighbors for Jesus and points them to him and his grace and salvation for them. Amen.